It's your Tuesday daily delivery. I am Michael Rand. It is a busy day on the show. Got a lot of Vikings talk coming up here in a little bit, as we often do on Tuesdays. Andrew Kramer, film review, uh, taking a look at the bend but don't break defense. Is that a polite way of saying the defense isn't all that great, but you're just hoping to hang on for one more play? Or is it more of a philosophy that is working? Got to get to a big Gophers basketball recruit as well. Some saying the biggest in almost 20 years. And I'll get to Minnesota United bounced from the playoffs here in just a moment, too, as part of the opening segment. First, though, what did I miss? The Wild in freefall mode, panic mode, a mess of their own making. They lose again 6-3 to on Monday night. They are now 0-3 to start the season. They've given up 20 goals in three games. And, you know, maybe more troubling than that is just the sense that panic is already setting in in Game 3 of an 82-game season. By that, I mean Marco Rossi, the excellent young rookie they have up right now, ready to play center Uh, A healthy scratch, Game 3. Guy who led, I believe, led the NHL, the entire NHL, in preseason scoring. Preseason being what it is, take it for what it is, but showed, at least in that part, in camp, that he belongs here. Has not been getting the opportunities in the first two games. Didn't play many minutes in in that second game. And then a healthy scratch in Game 3. Now, there was a chance he was still going to play if Matt Zuccarello couldn't go, but Zuccarello ended up being healthy enough to play. So Marco Rossi on the bench for the third game of the season. You know, Dean Evison, the head coach, saying it's a time for Marco Rossi to reset, come back stronger. I don't know. It seems like a panic move to me. It seems like there's a little bit of a push-pull here between who Dean Evison wants and who Bill Guerin is giving to him. I don't know. Maybe I'm off base on that. I don't know. I don't have any real deep insights into that, any deep reporting on that. That's just how it feels sometimes when a young player is on the roster but doesn't play, that uh, that there's a difference of opinion sometimes in whether he belongs and how much he can contribute. So I sure hope he's back in the lineup soon because he is a key to this season, a key to this team. And I, I frankly think it's it's too soon to uh, to pull the plug, game three of the season. He's not the problem. Uh, the problem is everything else about the Wilds game, 20 goals in three games. Um, another piece of troubling information to come from this game is that uh, after the game, Dean Evison thought that this was a step in the right direction. I get it. I get what he's trying to say. Let, let's, just, let's just let him use his own words here for a minute. We played a very strong game. Um, we did so many really good things in that hockey game, and um, you're you're exactly right. Funky bounces did not go our way. Nobody's going to feel sorry for the bounces going the other way, but we have to believe that those bounces aren't going to continue to go that way. And obviously, you can think of the goal, uh, the you know the dumping goal in particular. There's uh, there's other situations where. There's a 50-50 situation, and it slides the other way. It goes to the negative side. It's not going to continue to do that if we continue to work as we did tonight. So, yeah, I mean, if you looked at this game objectively, you might say this was 
you know, the best of the three they played. I mean, I know it was 6-3. They gave up a an empty netter late. They gave up a power play goal, I think, late that, that made it a little bit more lopsided. But still, you lost 6-3 on your home ice. You've given up 20 goals in three games. I don't know if Dean Everson really means what he's saying or if he's trying to convince himself, convince his players of what he's saying. But uh, this is a mess right now. Um, Philippe Gustafsson got the start in goal, gave up five goals. The goaltending is a complete mess right now, and that's a mess, like I said, of their own making. They had a decent situation last season with Cam Talbot and Capo Kakinen. Completely ripped it up uh, going into this season with Marc-Andre Fleury and Philippe Gustafsson. Of course, Jasper Wallstead waiting in the wings, but he is still just 19 years old. How soon he is able to get here and be, and be a contributor is a great question. Uh, you hate to make that move out of necessity, but right now... The goaltending not going to get it done. Not just the goalies, but the, but but when you look at this, when you look at the expected goals on this season, the Wild expected to have scored ten goals this season. Uh, that's according to Natural Stat Trick. Expected to have given up nine goals this season. That's based on you know shot where the shots are coming from, where the how good the chances are. So they're giving up more than twice as many goals as they would have expected to have been given up. Uh, at this point in the season. So the goaltending, a complete mess right now. And again, it's three games in. Um, I don't want to panic. I'm not I'm not the one who, who should be panicking here, but it seems like the Wild is is in a certain amount of panic right now with, with how they are playing. They're trying to you know put out this message of moral victories, that they're getting better, that they're on their track, that they'll win more games if the puck luck starts following them. I don't know. I think they have to think that way right now, but it's it's discouraging right now to watch this team play the way it's playing right now. And, you know, frankly, they have nobody to blame but themselves right now because these are the players they picked, this is the roster they put together, and this is the start that they deserved. Speaking of a mess of their own making, Minnesota United falls to FC Dallas in a shootout in the playoffs. Actually, I thought they played pretty well in this playoff game, 1-1 after 120 minutes. Emmanuel Reynoso gave them a lead in the second half, but they couldn't hold it. Dallas equalized, and uh, game you know game was pretty competitive, pretty close. Uh, Bain St. Clair made an, a beautiful save. I believe it was in the second half of the uh, of the extra time. Um, stopped the ball that looked like it was destined for the back of the net. Um, stopped it right on the goal line, made that save to keep the game tied and sent it to those penalty kicks, but in the PKs, um, the Loons failed to convert one. Will Trap missed. I think it was the second kick. Um, it was saved by uh, by Dallas, and Dallas converted all five of theirs to advance. The bigger the bigger point on this though is that the that the that the Loons shouldn't have been in this position. They could have been had a much more favorable playoff draw had they not finished the season so poorly. Had they not had that stretch of o five and one right before they beat Vancouver at the end of the year to sneak into the playoffs. Get a home match. Get a better draw in the first round. Then you're not fighting the number three seed and not getting rewarded for your best effort in the playoffs. So um, Adrian Heath talking about major changes this offseason. Yeah, I would imagine so based on the roster, based on some of the things he said during that losing streak about, you know, not being able to understand how this is happening, what, you know, not being able to get the players to do the things they should be doing, um, you know, some of the motivational stuff, some of the stuff on the field. So that's a team in transition as well. We'll see what those changes are. Uh, but the biggest change right now is they're not playing. Season's over for the Loons. They've made the playoffs four years in a row, but not much to show for it this year and plenty to think about this offseason. 
take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. All right, let's bring in Andrew Kramer right now for a film review, looking back at the Vikings' 24-16 win over the Dolphins. Another game, Andrew, that they are not going to hang in any sort of museum, unless it's a, a museum of comedy or well, I don't know what I don't know what kind of museum would want that game. But it, it, it's it's not the same script every week because they're doing different things to achieve this. But we've been kind of talking about the same thing for a while, where they're not playing their best. Something always happens that allows them to pull the game out. And in this game, and in in, in at least one other previous game, it's been turnovers and especially like the defense hanging in, hanging in, making enough plays until they can kind of make that difference making play. And in this case, the big one was Harrison Smith making the the strip of Jalen Waddle when Miami is going down to maybe take, you know, go ahead, take, maybe make the go ahead score in, in that case. Um, Andrew is, is Ben, but don't break just a polite way of saying our defense isn't very good. And we're just hoping <laughs> that things get better or, or is that an actual strategy that can be successful in the NFL? I think it's a strategy that that is aimed to be successful in today's NFL because of how many game-breaking talents and offenses there are, right? And so the whole thinking behind it is if you can employ a strategy where the primary example on any down on any given play is not giving up that big pass play, which the Sean McVays of the world, um, you know, from Tom Brady to Aaron Rodgers, when they're playing well to Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, they try to hit those shots on you at any given moment. And that's what this defense is trying to give away. And, and Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill are very capable of doing that at the same time as we saw. And even though they play this way, the Vikings are very much learning how to play this way because they tried to do it and they still give up 385 yards. And I do think uh, that, that's just passing. And I do think part of that has to do with the fact that they were playing against Skylar Thompson and then Teddy Bridgewater. And they actually changed it up a little bit. They started blitzing a little bit right out of the gate. They started playing more man coverage, even toward the end of the game, which they usually typically haven't done. Um, So they started to deviate a little bit from their plan. And I wonder if it's because they were playing what they thought is, is a lesser quarterback and Teddy still got, still got the ball out in some spots. I mean, obviously the Vikings deflected and intercepted eight total passes combined, um, but they still, again, threw for 385 yards and Waddle and Hill had their, had their moments. So this is a defense that's very much learning how to play this style. And there are better ways to play it than how they're currently playing it. Cause they're giving up a lot of yardage. Well, they are. And you know, that, that does beg the question, like, is this sustainable? I think that's the question that everybody has about just the Vikings in general right now. Like they're, they're winning, they're winning on, on, on the margins. They're winning differently, but, but close generally, um, you know, they, they got barely anything going offensively initially in that game before eventually getting 24 points. And we'll get to the offense in a little bit, but like turnover differential, I think from year to year is one of those stats that, you know, can be, a, a, can be pretty volatile. Like it, it, you can coach it to a certain degree, but sometimes it's just luck. And I think Harrison Smith even kind of said like, he wasn't necessarily, going for the ball in that play. It's just like, and when you're tackling at that level, sometimes 
the ball will come out. Um, and yeah, you can be taught that you can do things like that, but like at the end of the day, how, how realistic is it to keep forcing or making those big plays in those key moments, like the Cam Dantzler strip the week before, like how, how often should you be not relying on that, but should you be thinking of that as part of your overall strategy or, or is that, you know, something that should be kind of nice to have, but uh, hopefully you, you figure out other ways to, to slow somebody down. Oh, the Vikings absolutely believe you can coach it. Uh, they, they absolutely think it's, it's certainly not something that is guaranteed, but they think it's something you can influence and try to at least force. And I think we're seeing some fruits of it at least because, because they spent the whole off season doing things in practice. Like um, Dalvin cook would, you know, take a handoff on really a walkthrough speed and Cam Dancer just kind of annoyingly come by and rip the ball out of his hands. They would just consciously do this stuff every day to the point where it was kind of annoying for people like Alexander Madison, Kenny Wongwu, who had to kind of consistently deal with that every day. And so when Madison, or excuse me, when Dancer rips the ball out of Amir Smith-Marset's hands, because he was doing that actually in training camp this, uh, this summer, and I, I really do think that has some carryover. Now, is Jalen Waddell always going to bobble a pass directly into Harrison Smith's hands for an interception? No. Uh, is Patrick Peterson always going to be able to sit on a route against Teddy Bridgewater who telegraphs a pass to him for an interception? No. So I think there are elements of this that you can't bank on. And what won't keep happening, I counted this up. It's four takeaways in the last five minutes of the fourth quarter in their last four games. And it really happened in three games uh, against the Lions, uh, Bears, and then Dolphins. Uh, between Metellus, Stansler, Peterson, and Harrison Smith, that stuff's just not that's not sustainable. The timing of when they happen is not sustainable. Um, but they're building that margin for error at five and one now for the second half of the season that, um, frankly, they're, they're showing too, that they need that margin for error because of kind of how volatile they're playing. And you mentioned some of the past rush stuff for that, which I thought was interesting. They got certainly got more of that than I think they had since the green Bay game. And it was more consistent. They were bringing more pressure and it wasn't always getting home, but it was, affecting things. I mean, are, are, as the coaching staff, do you think still kind of learning, like adapting on the fly to, to the personnel or how do you it kind of does, like you said, feel like there's kind of a mixing and matching of what they started with versus what they're in right now to a certain degree. What do you mean by that in terms of when it comes to their pass rush, just in terms of their pass rushes in terms of like, they, they didn't seem like they were doing much aggressive stuff at all for, for a few games. And now, you know, if whether it's situational, it's just based on the quarterback or if they're just saying, Hey, we can't just sit back because we don't, we don't, we're not ready to play that way yet. I'm just trying to figure out where they are in terms of their thinking, especially the defensive staff. I do think it's combined. I haven't talked to any of the defensive coaches about this past week's game plan, but when you start off the season with such a low blitz rate and such a low five man pressure rate, the way they did, I think that's philosophical. It's the way Ed Donatel wanted to play this going into it. Um, but then you had Eric Hendricks, you had guys stepping up and kind of voicing and saying, hey, we should probably play a little bit more aggressive. And you have a head coach and Kevin O'Connell who preaches that player ownership and wanting that involvement of like, if you've got guys, enough veteran guys suggesting, hey, maybe we should do something different. This is a coaching staff that's more inclined to listen than most in the NFL. So I, I think we're seeing some of those changes. But I also think part of it, again, is the quarterback play and who they've played. They have played Justin Fields. They have played Teddy Bridgewater, Skylar Thompson. These are guys you can blitz. These are guys you can really send after and not really worry about getting beat deep too often. And it's not like we've seen this incredibly high blitz rate either against those guys. It's just been kind of marginally higher. 
compared to the start of the season. I do wonder when they face Aaron Rodgers again, if they face Jalen uh, Jalen Hurts again down the road, what would they do against those guys? Uh, would it be as conservative as we've seen in the past in terms of their approaches? We might see them revert completely back to what they did at the start of the season. Even against Kyler Murray coming out of the bye, that would be a little bit of a different test. It sounds like the Cardinals just traded for Robbie Anderson. They're getting uh, DeAndre Hopkins back, so they've got they'll probably have a little bit more of a uh, passing attack than they have had in the, in the past. So we'll we'll see about that. Now the flip side of this game was the defense was on the field for an awfully long time because the offense had ten three and outs in this game. And I, I kept seeing the stat um, that the Dolphins had only forced three, three and outs the entire season before that game. So the Vikings gave them 10. They now have 13. That uh, it was just, I don't know what it was exactly. And there was some, certainly some frustration, I think uh, on Kirk Cousins part. And you know there was some sideline interaction between him and Kevin O'Connell, nothing, Nothing quite like the shoving match between Kirk Cousins and uh, and Mike Zimmer the year before, but it does seem like there's when you go three and out that many times, people are just going to be frustrated naturally. What what were you seeing in terms of what was causing a lot of the whether it's miscommunication or just the inability to even get a first down on ten different drives? Yeah, when you listen to O'Connell and Cousins after the game, and then you you read um, Ben Gessling kind of got into that side conversation. Uh, between those guys, just all the stuff that goes into um, setting out the offense in terms of the messaging, uh, what personnel groupings they're doing it out of, uh, the communication, whether or not everybody's hearing the play calls, hearing the adjustments at the line. Um, There's so many factors that go into it that they're clearly still working through that you, you don't do, you don't have 10, three and outs unless all of these things are going wrong at some point or another. And so I, I think that's what we saw because it was incredible. It was incredible how inconsistent that offense was and how bad. Uh, Why well, I guess they were consistently bad, really, with all those three and outs. And Kevin O'Connell at one point on the broadcast called out the wide receivers. He said the wide receivers need to get open. He said right now they're they're just not beating Byron Jones and Xavier Howard, the corners for the Dolphins. And I think when listening to the coaches going into that game. I wonder how seriously they were taking the, that Dolphins secondary because just asking them about it, they were, the, the response you would get is, well, really the best part of that defense is that they'll try to pressure you and make things easy on that back end. Um, and so maybe they're more focused on the protections than really trying to scheme uh, the guys open on the outsides. And they just weren't winning one-on-one early. And You saw some deflections early on. Then you saw Kevin O'Connell try to target the backup nickel after the starting nickel got hurt, and that didn't work. The backup ended up getting a couple deflections. So they were just trying to press these buttons on offense, and it wasn't working. And then obviously the running game was just it was completely non-existent until the very end. Right. I mean, because here's the thing. They got the two big plays, right? They got the, 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 the run by Dalvin Cook for 53 yards and the big completion to Justin Jefferson where they, they finally sprung him for I think 47. So that's a hundred yards on two plays. The rest of the day, they got 134 yards on 48 plays. So that's, there's your, uh, it's like two and a half, three yards per play on the other 48. And obviously those two plays are huge. They live. One is a, one is a touchdown. The other one directly leads to a touchdown, but that's a, that's a hard way to live, especially when it felt like the three weeks before that they were really living on five, six, seven yards at a time and not, Two play two yards at a time, and then these massive explosive plays. Yeah, and I think it just goes to show too how 
if, if they can't get that connection to Justin Jefferson going in the passing game and they can't get Dalvin Cook going and you find a way to stop what I think are the two top weapons on the Vikings offense, um, that things really kind of slow to a halt, don't they? They don't have a consistent other trigger to hit. And, and Irv Smith will pop up for four catches, K.J. Osborne for a few here and there, but um, they need to consistently hit one of those two guys, and, and they just they just couldn't. And Kevin O'Connell talked about how the Dolphins played a lot of heavy base personnel and how it took them a minute to adjust and find some answers for it in that game. And, and I, I would say so, because it took you 10 three and outs to find some answers. Yeah, especially the first four <laughs> drives of the game were, were three and outs. It was just a weird, yeah. weird game. It's been a weird six games. I mean, they're they're five and one. Nobody's apologizing for that. And, you know, like, like Patrick Royce and I talked about on Monday's show, it's like they're five and one, and they certainly have room to play better, so they can take that from it. But they're also five and one, and we don't really know how good they are yet. So I guess there's still a lot of questions that remain coming out of the bye. But to your point, you've given yourself some margin for error when you're five and one, and it doesn't look like anybody else in this division is all that great either. Yeah. And there are two things that we should mention that, that, that are in their control that they have been very good at, and that is not turning the ball over. And that is um, not being penalized. Um, They're now the second uh, least penalized team in the NFL behind only the Rams, Kevin O'Connell's former team. And they've uh, got the aforementioned uh, second best turnover differential. So if you can keep those two things up, that, that keeps you in these games, really, no matter who you're playing, at least it gives you a shot. You're not, they're not playing what the dolphins did, which is the five penalties on one drive. Unbelievable. Like, the yeah. dolphins are playing so bad in that game that that's why we're talking about a five and one Vikings team. The way we're talking about them is because of just how badly their opponents have played at times, but Hey, they keep winning. Plenty to clean up, but they do get a week off. Then the Cardinals, who I think are two and four, Washington, who I think is two and four. I mean, the path is there for them to get to seven and one before they got to play Buffalo. And at that point, you know, then they're in half, it's almost half a season in. And you got to, at that point, you'd have to stop saying, is this sustainable? And just say, how far can this thing go? Yeah. And who else is in the NFC? We see the Eagles are, they they look like the only juggernaut uh, on this side of the conference. So, yeah, it seems wide open for him. All right. Well, thanks, Andrew. We'll catch up again in a couple of weeks. Sounds good, Mike. Thanks. One of the best things we do on Daily Delivery every week is create poetry about silly Vikings victories. My least favorite team is my favorite team. We create Vikus, Keith Rashad, uh, and I do. Usually him. He creates the, the vast majority of the Vikings-themed haikus. And he has four of them, I'm told, this week. Um, sir, is that true? Absolutely. Do you want to just jump right in? I guess so. Okay, do it. A seventh round pick is better than sweet Teddy. My heart is broken. Yeah. It, he, Skyler Thompson wasn't the problem for Miami, no. was he? <laughs> no. the, the, the fact that they couldn't stop themselves from committing 36 yards of penalties on one offensive drive all of which by the way looked legit it wasn't just like oh man they they're they're at the refs are after us like if you were a miami fan you'd have to look at the replay and be like ah yeah he definitely held him or oh yeah that was definitely a penalty that was that was offensive pass interference right there well allow me to read you my second haiku oh okay let's go the Finns could have won but they much preferred to cheat a sea of yellow yeah i mean it was the Again, it was it was you know Miami certainly has 
some talent on offense. They outgained the Vikings like two to one. It was like what four fifty eight to two thirty four in terms of pure yardage. But they just they hurt themselves the whole time. They just they with the cheating, um, the cheating with the penalties and the interceptions, and you know the, obviously the huge fumble by by Waddle. But um, yeah, it was just a it's a strange game. It's strange for the Vikings to be the disciplined team. Here's my question for you. Okay. Right. So you talked about that drive where they gained 75 yards or whatever and gave 36 of it back Yeah. on that one crazy drive. And you're right. Every single penalty seemed legit. Yes. This, they actually were just cheating or committing penalties. Yeah. Uh, so did the Miami offense look that good and just get stalled because they were cheating or did they look that good because they were committing the penalties? Would they have looked worse or not as efficient? And because you were, you're right, that goofy seventh round rookie QB looked amazing. He made yeah, he was, the yeah. Vikings defense look silly for the first period of that game. Uh, to the point where it was a relief when Teddy Bridgewater came in and slowed everything down, unfortunately, with maybe his own issues that he was dealing with, yeah. as it were. Um, but was the offense that good with this rookie QB, or was it just because they were trying to commit all this penalties and all this stuff? I don't know. I mean, they def they have you know they have playmakers. Obviously, they've got Tyreek Hill and Waddle. I mean, those guys are are pretty good at. Yes, they are. Oh and they goodness. can take you know, and and those are the kind of guys that can can win with any quarterback because those are run after the catch guys. You don't have to. You know, the quarterback doesn't have to be super accurate or great to get them the ball and let them let them do a lot of bit of the work. And I don't know that the Vikings have a whole lot of that on their team right now. Justin Jefferson certainly a great talent, a special talent, but tends to be more of a, a route runner than just, Hey, get him the ball and let him run with it. He's not, he's not a Percy Harvin type of player where it's just like, Hey, get him the ball and he might make something great happen. Those guys are um, that said, some teams I think do kind of work on the margins and try to, you know, get away with stuff to a certain degree and, and hoping that they're not going to call everything and, and pop some big plays. I think the Vikings are kind of the opposite. Andrew Kramer and I were just talking about, it and I didn't realize until he mentioned it. They are the second least penalized team in the entire NFL right now behind the Rams. And they play generally a pretty clean game. And that, you know, maybe that's the kind of game we can all be proud of. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if people are proud of sportsmanship and everybody's having fun out there. <laughs> and everybody, nobody has any complaints about the style points. They're just happy they're five and one, right? Absolutely. Well, it speaks to what we talked about last week and yes. about being happy that they're five and one. And you're absolutely right. How many times have we watched, again, the opposite happen that we've watched the Vikings be the ones to bonehead their way? into a loss or do something stupid or ridiculous. It, it was the entire Mike Tice era. <laughs> yes, he was. He was, was an, the definition of that, that was an undisciplined team by and large. Very, very much so. And so again, in this, you know, here for a good time, not for a long time philosophy that we've adopted during this particular segment, it was just nice to see this team 
be the beneficiary of somebody else's mistake. It happens occasionally, right? But uh, it feels like the Vikings are pretty good or had been pretty good at various periods in their history of being the ones to, to throw the game away or do something silly or have something silly happen to them as opposed to what happened on Sunday. Yeah, and I can't tell yet whether... That's just the hallmark of this team, and that's going to con- that's going to continue. Or if a lot of this will even out at a certain point, just because that's how these things sometimes work. I I, I can't tell I'm yet. I'm still very much stuck in the who cares mode. Yeah, just take it while you can and love it while you can, uh, because again, not real sure this is a championship no. caliber team, uh, but they are five and one. So get yes. while the getting's good. We keep saying how. This isn't sustainable, we say, about the team that keeps sustaining this. That's right. That's right. All right, let's hear number three. Number three. The offensive line lived up to the epithet. Mike Rand bows his head. Yeah, it was not. uh, There was a play. uh, I mean, Bradbury got blown up a couple times. There was a play that I think Ed Ingram just got absolutely destroyed, essentially thrown back into Kirk Cousins on, on one of the plays that he was pressured. I mean, they, again, like Andrew and I talked about, they had a hundred yards on the Dalvin cook touchdown run and the Justin Jefferson long play that set up the touchdown. Otherwise they had 134 yards on 48 plays. Um, and that's speaking a lot to a lot of two yard gains, a lot of three yard gains, just the running game, just not really, getting them into that kind into the the kind of favorable down and distance that they had been. And I think that a lot of that goes back to the the line play. They they just didn't they weren't hitting on a lot of those first downs to get into second and four, second and three. And a lot of that was just because plays were getting blown up at the line. And so I don't think Miami has like the world's greatest defensive line either. So that's a concern to think about coming out of the bye. Well then as we've established, I watched the 45 minute super cut to the game most weeks just yeah. because of my circumstances. And that doesn't always give you the same time to process what's happening in the game. It's just play after play after play. Right. And I'm watching this. And as I'm watching this, I swear to you, there were countless times when I it felt like the Dolphins were playing 17 guys on defense because there were just that many swarming that they blitzed a whole bunch and there were that many swarming uh, Kirk Cousins and that offensive line could do nothing, right? right? So there's a pack of seven guys, seven Dolphins in the backfield while this offensive line is just getting crumbled. And it was just sort of disgusting to watch in that respect. And it, it again, they won. I am happy. I could care less about the, the rest of it, but it's also why it's hard to envision long-term success for this team because you, it feels like Miami might have established a blueprint here. Just throw a whole bunch of guys at this offensive line because they, they can't handle four really good ones, let yeah. alone six or seven. And if you can't even have the time to get your weapons to, to work or develop or have anything uh, work out for you, it, it's just, it was just kind of ugly. Yep. But unless of course you're unless of course you are deeply into the art of punting. Yes. If that's what you were into, if that's your thing, this was the game for you. Can I interest you in bend but don't break? 
<laughs> do you like do you like that uh, a whole lot? All right, last uh, last one from you. Then I've got one for you. Okay. Can you win two ways, both with success and default? A division crown. Well, Green Bay lost twenty-seven to ten to the Jets. I don't know if you noticed that. Um, I, I might have. I might have they, noted that. Yeah. They don't seem to be very good. Um, that's always subject to change. I feel like there's been multiple examples in past years where we've written off the Packers too soon and it's come back to haunt. So there's, there's certainly something to be said for letting this all play out, but you know, Vikings are five and one, everybody in the division is either three and three or worse. The Vikings are three, and zero in the division, all of those home wins, but they are definitely in a good place right now uh, as everything stands. And I mean, it, they kind of stay the course. It's it, it. You can see a pretty clear path to winning the division at this point. Well, there are many of us who've had that moment in life where you you just meet that certain someone, and it doesn't take long before you know before you know that there's a real connection there, and this is something meaningful and special, and something that you never necess- that you haven't experienced before that there's something real to this, right? That yeah. maybe the love of your life or what have you. Um, and I'm starting to get that type of feeling about the crumbling of the Packers, right? <laughs> this, this is starting to feel real. <laughs> this is starting to feel like something I can believe in. You've been that hurt before, be but you're willing to, to, leave, to let yourself be vulnerable in this case. I am, I am open. I, I feel myself opening up in a way to the destruction of the Green Bay Packers that I haven't allowed myself to feel in, in so very, very long, right? So this, this might be it. This might be the moment that, that our lovelorn Vikingsness has been waiting for when it comes to that team. It very well could be. Let me read you one quick before we get out of here. 10 three and out drives, enough to make a QB want to shove his coach it's yeah um it'll never be better than when mike zimmer and and kirk cousins uh, almost punched each other after a win that will always be the pinnacle yes of of the kirk cousins and his coach era yes but yeah he doesn't seem like a very happy camper Five and one, though, that's all that matters as uh, as we keep talking about. Not here for a long time, but for now, here for a good time. Now, one more postscript about the Vikings. I was thinking about this the other day. In terms of the quality of opponents, I don't think this was the toughest part of their schedule by any means, but they had to navigate these first six games with that London trip in the middle of it all. They won before going to London. They won in London. They won coming back from London, and then they won the game after that on the road in the heat in Miami. Uh, That, to me, was pretty impressive. I I know they didn't play great in any of those last four wins, but they got those wins, and they were the best. They They were their best in the second half in the fourth quarter. So they've navigated that tricky travel stretch. I know there's going to be more coming up in the second half of the year. Uh, second half after the bye, they got to play the Bills. They've got some tougher opponents. But just in terms of what they've been able to navigate this season and that that London trip, coming out of that with all wins, 
uh, being able to get to that buy, get some rest at five and one, that sets themselves up for a very good possibility in these final eleven games this year. So pay attention to that. Being able to navigate that, being able to win when you're not at your best, that is a good trait for a team to have. Even if you'd like to see them play their best one of these weeks, let us finish with the cooler. Gophers men's basketball. Marcus Fuller, by the way. All over this story, I'm expecting to have him on the podcast later this week to talk about this a little bit more. But seven foot one, Riverside, California center Dennis Evans heading to the Gophers picks them yesterday over TCU, number thirteen recruit in the country according to Rivals.com, highest rated incoming recruit since Chris Humphreys in 2003, biggest out state out of state recruit since the 1990s. So the guy with a seven foot seven wingspan had 16 blocked shots in a game last season. So he will he will make a huge difference here. Loved loved the visit. It's a big get for Ben Johnson, who already has already has a commitment from the top player in Illinois for next season as well. So good things coming to this team as it tries to build up from the ground up. That's a big recruit for them, a big get for Ben Johnson. And like I said, Marcus Fuller and I will talk a lot more about the implications and just who this young man is on probably Thursday or Friday show later this week. That will do it for today. Of course, tomorrow we got a lot of Timberwolves content that season starting on Wednesday. Chris Hine will join me on Wednesday's show. Plenty of other good stuff coming up during the week as well. Thank you so much for joining me today. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Be back at it again tomorrow.